Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett, and this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Elizabeth has flown. She's on a girl's weekend, and... Ian and I, Ian Punnett, my husband, are about to fly to Florida because we are now on the another side of caring for our parents. And that's a little bit about what we were going to talk about today. Hey, hon. Hey, sweetie. You ready to leave at five o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah, for an old girls weekend. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. It's been, uh, it's been, I was counting up the other, the other night. My mom was actually with us here in Kansas for about 18 months. And I've talked a lot about in this podcast about what it's been like to care for her, sort of the unexpected difficulties. She had a very tough last year of her life. My, my mother's problem was she would, she would fall down. She would forget that she couldn't walk. And then she would get up to try and walk. She'd try and get up to go get a Reese's cup. And then, and then it would be a disaster. It would end up in an emergency room because her skin was so, she was so frail and her skin was so thin and it was just, it was all very complicated. And I think so much on this podcast, we talk about what it's like to take care of young children and what it's like to create a home when you're raising a family. And you and I are really living through sort of the, what it's like when your family is dying. Yeah. I mean, to be quite frank. And it's a process everybody goes through. If you ever want a better idea of how much time your mom spent next door to us and how much time we spent giving her personal attention, just ask my mother, who is keeping close track of what she wasn't getting. <laughs> Could you feel that? Sure. I think that's also a natural thing, oddly enough, is that People become very aware of what their kids give to in-laws and where you're living. And I don't know. I, in the case of your mom, she made it easy for us as best as possible to take care of her, which was nice. We weren't flying back and forth to cities like a lot of other people have to do or, or like what we're, we're going to do to see my mom. So with everything that I, I've been very vocal about what I went through in taking care of my mom here and... I received some really beautiful emails from people who said, you know, you talking about your mom and and being with your mom as as her life was winding down and sort of making peace with our relationship and all of those things. I I really did get some lovely emails from people who said that was helpful because it's hard. And if you're not going through it, you have no idea how hard it is. What do you think as the spouse, uh, you know, it was your mother-in-law. What did you learn through that? Oh, she's my friend. You know, I mean, she was, I never, I, I never thought of her as my mother-in-law other than to tease her and call her Endora, you know. And in the early her. days. Well, <laughs> but even in the later days, if she was giving you a hard time, I, I always stood on your side. And so there was never a time when 
I didn't, I wasn't aware of the the parental dynamics, but but I never that wasn't the basis of our relationship, which was funnier. It was based on a kind of uh responsibility I felt I had to kind of always kind of keep her in check a little bit and and to compliment her when she did things great, like the like the one time she cooked a fabulous meal, you know, it was it was noteworthy. It was so good. And and then, you know, the rest of the time it was to tease her about stuff that she would try to, you know, put a good spin on, but it was pretty obvious that she was <laughs> she was doing her PR thing. So I mean, I, I always loved being around her. I never had any problem with that. And you know that. So that was my role. I, I got it easier than you did. But I think I think one of the things though, as we I, I think about I, I was reading an article about people in their forties and the difficulty of being in your forties. And there are there there are a lot of people that are in the position of caring for aging parents while at the same sure. time raising young children. And I feel really grateful that that was not our situation because I can't even no. imagine the stress of right. raising children, having a full-time job, and then also having a, a parent that really is dependent on you. And I think that's what weighed so heavily on me is, yeah. is the idea of her dependence on me. And my mother was not needy by nature, so it was really strange for me, she didn't demand much of right. me. In in no. the you know, when I was in my 30s, if I didn't call my mom, my mom was never the kind of person that was going to be that would lay a guilt trip on me because she was pretty independent too. And so it was a strange relationship in that way. But I and that's when I say she wasn't needy. But it was weird when she was living here and she would call me and say, Are you okay? Like if I didn't see her for two days when she was in the assisted living facility, she'd call me and be like, Are you okay? I was right. so worried about you. And that was such a strange thing for me because she right. seemingly never really worried that right. much about me. But it's now, as I said, we're flying down to Florida tomorrow to to be with your mother who just lost her third husband. And I know this is stressful. And so what do you how do you how do you walk forward into what's coming? I mean, we're talking about the possibility uh, of long-term care. And then there's also the possibility of where you're watching your mother's life wind down. I mean, you've already lost your father, so you've been through this once. Yeah, first of all, I want to applaud your use of uh, laying a guilt trip reference. I, I have to say, I think it was the last time I heard that was in an episode of Mod Squad. So I really like you saying <laughs> laying... Laying a guilt trip, man. Is, is that really? not common vernacular? Uh, I haven't heard it for a very long time, but, you know, uh, I'm waiting for you to say, cheese it, it's the fuzz. Um, so uh, my my mom is in a different place. I mean, we, we have maintained a regular uh, phone conversation that's gone on for a very long time. My brother lives close to her. And I we've seen her a lot, but then she hasn't needed. I mean, she likes she likes her men. You know, she's liked having to be married and to get remarried. And it's always been a matter of as long as she's got a guy who's doing that sort of thing, she doesn't really need me. And then when suddenly he wasn't around, then that became a different story. So I mean, and I and I don't I applaud that too. I mean, I know that she's 
that she's pretty open about that. She, she needs, and she wants to have other people in her life. And so we're going to go down and give her some attention. And she's got a guy who is a, in her employee, who's a really good guy to her and, and comes around, gives, takes care of a lot what she needs. And so in that part, I don't feel it's not quite the same as your own mom. And I, I, I wish that for everybody. I wish that everybody had something like that going on. That, that and, and for people that have actually to get on planes and go visit, those are the people that have it really hard. People who are expected to get on a plane and go up right. regularly and take care of it. We don't, we don't have that. Yeah. There's your mom doesn't demand that. She doesn't no. demand that. But I think the, one of the things that we, we try and talk about sort of the universality of our experience. Right. And I think one of the conversations that you and I have had repeatedly in going through this with caring for mom, and then now watching your mother's situation, that we often talk about how we want to be for our children as we grow older. Mm-hmm. What in your mind has changed about how you look at getting older and how you want to be for our boys? Well, I want to continue to contribute to their lives, not be a drain. So I want to be a value. I want to continue to provide something of value to them, not just expect them to somehow pay me back for years of being a good dad or, or for that matter, just even recognizing that I'm their father or anything like that. I don't have any interest in that at all. So the day I can no longer serve a purpose uh, and provide something, I think that's when I'll start to feel like maybe it's time for me to go. How much do you think they actually owe us? Oh, come on. Several convertibles. I don't think there's any. They owe us? Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but the good part is they know that. They don't put it in terms of convertibles. I wish they did. Yes. Um, But- I mean, they're they're very they're very sweet in the way in which they they talk about the advantages they got as a result of the fact that we weren't total loser parents. Well, I think that's one of the things that when we have these conversations on Best to the Nest, this is a this is a strange place we find ourselves in, and I didn't expect a lot of the way that my life lived the the, the last two years of my life were so different than what I envisioned my life would be. And I think that's one of the things that going forward, I want to make sure that what happened in the situation and taking care of my mom, that that doesn't happen to the boys in the sense that there's no surprise to it. I don't want their lives to have to change so drastically. Right. And I think that that's, but that's a harder road. And we talk a lot about, we had always planned to sort of retire someplace warmer. And I think in terms of talking about what really is practical, what do we really want? And you were really wise in saying, and I think sort of looking down, looking, looking forward of really knowing, look, we just want to be near them. And so right. we've sort of reordered our whole idea of what retirement's going to look like so that we're near them, not with the expectation that they'll come to be with us. Because right. I don't think that plays out really. And I don't think also seeing our boys twice a year is what we wanted. No. I think your big worry is what would happen if you were to be 
in your mother's situation and I were to be, you know, in a fairly less incapacitated role and the the many ways that you'd have to worry about waking up in the morning wearing a funny hat or how I would do your makeup <laughs> that you would be unable to step people be coming in and and you'd be wearing like bright red lipstick and then I do your eyes and I would do like, you know, cat eyes or I would do Wait, this because you're taking care of me because I'd be taking care of you that if oh, I were you, no. that would be your that if I were you, that would be my biggest concern. Is, oh, no, no, no. I'll be like, I'll be the most visible joke. If you're taking care of me and I don't really know what's going on, that's not going to go well for me. No, and, I, I've already your nickname would be the prop. And uh, <laughs> come see the, the prop. The prop. Look what I did with the prop. <laughs> You'd make me be like your little puppet. No, it's very scary. And I, I have already tempting. said, I have already said, and this was a joke between mom and I, is, I don't know, this happened like 10 years ago. Mom, she's probably in her 80s, and mom was getting some facial hair. And I very politely said to her, you know, mom, there's a tool. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) No, didn't say that. I think that's what you said. Excuse me, sir. But there's a tool for that. But I very delicately said to her, mom, because women don't want to pull out like a man's razor to shave their face. No. It's a. I said, Mom. There's a very delicate little tool. Unless you were pink. Unless you're, it's still it's a pink razor. Trust it's me, it's not still like it is. A... It still doesn't feel right. So I sort of showed her how she could shave her face, and mm-hmm. when she came here, she'd be very cute. She'd be like, Archie, there's some hair. You need to take care of this." And so I would <laughs> I would shave her face for her because she couldn't do it for herself anymore. I, w- I would always be very discreet and I always make sure like I would just do it privately and it was no big deal. But I've told the boys in no uncertain terms, like no shaving, no shave. I do oh, not okay. want to be I do not want like a whisker coming out of my chin. That's that is like number one. I don't want that. So okay. but do you I, I'd comb them and I put a little bead at the end <laughs> to, to really draw attention to it. You're not listening. You're not hearing me. I don't want uh, attention drawn to the one whisker under my chin. There's a, there's a difference between not listening and ignoring. And <laughs> I believe true. this this is an example of the latter. What's your biggest worry about getting older? Uh, I, I I have thought about that a few times, and so I mean it's not it's not a worry. Um, but I do think that there's a certain point where me- medical science is so far ahead of where we are that my concern would be that I would be, you know, I, w- I would be some version of my physical self right. because there is some obligation that people had to try to keep me alive and I'd be the zombie Keith Richards and I don't want to be that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I just, I I prefer a much more natural conclusion and it's entirely possible. I mean, I, I always, I said this to your mom several times is that we were talking about where she was physically and whatever. And I, at some point a year ago, I said, mom, you would have been eaten by wolves a long time ago. That if, if we were actually in the natural plan of the order of the world, 
you know, we, we at some point, that's when the the older members of the tribe can no longer keep up and there's just so much you can do. And then I so I think there's a time for me where I sort of feel like I I'd be slowing down so much. I'd just be holding everybody back and I don't want people to spend any money or time in propping me up. Um, there's a sort of a there's sort of a nature to that. And I, I hope that I'll live a good long life and and contribute while I can, but not to feel like the world can't go on without me because it certainly can. It already has, you know, so that. Well, I think that that and that's the as we often say on this podcast, we haven't solved anything here today. But I think if I had to if I had to give any well, I'm not even going to give advice, but if I had to say the best thing you can do now with your parents is talk to them, especially for all like that. We have a lot of 40 somethings that listen to us. So, so that means their parents are in their 60s, late 70s. Right. I wish I really wish I had had more conversations with my mother before she fell. And it was right. one fall on one day that changed her the rest of her life. Right. She had lived independently until she was 86 years old. And then she fell down on the streets of Chicago and she had fairly severe head trauma and that changed everything. And so, and she knew it and, and she was graceful in it, but I wish before that it happened. And, and, you know, as a family, we should have known that was going to happen. We had had warning signs that that was going to happen. And I really wish that I had sat with her and had some really much deeper and specific conversations about if she were not able to live by herself, what is what is it that she really wanted out of the last bit of her life? And I think, I hope, and she said very dear things to me at the end of her life. So I think we did the best that we could. And I think in the end, she was she was pretty good about how how it all went. And she felt very loved at the end. Right. But gosh, I wish I had done that differently. And I, I, so many people have taken me up on the suggestion of sitting their parents down, having conversations with their parents, you know, on their phone, just record your parents, get the stories you want to get, because you just don't know what moment it will be when everything will change. And I, I wish I had done that differently. And I think that's one of the things you and I are trying to do now no. with each other is to have the conversations about what our next no. 30 years is really going to look like and do it with great intention. Well, I disagree that you did anything that needed to be improved upon. I think, honestly, no mother could ever expect more from a daughter. You were clear. She could sometimes, even to the end, she could still slip into kind of her old ways and say hurtful things. And you were able to overcome that and you would go back at it again and you would be right there for her and you'd be present in the next moment. And you had a level of communication with her that you had never had before. At least certainly not one I ever witnessed. I don't think you have a single thing you could go back over and pinpoint and say, I wish I'd done that better. Even in the conversation about what do you want, she was, she didn't know what she wanted in so many ways. So how right. could she have communicated that to you? Actually, that's she, a really good point. So there there wasn't a failure of communication and there was no, you, you, your obligation as a daughter was, you were punching above your weight 
class a long time ago and you well, gave her a lot more than than in a lot of ways you gave her more than than she gave you okay. and and i think she'd be the first to admit it that's the, that's why she, at the very end she kept saying i'm sorry i wasn't a very good mother but um but i love you and she could she would light up when you would come over and she was very frank about what she thought of as some of her failures. That's all you can ask for. It leaves right. a very uncomplicated legacy it was where you're very. not, you're not seeking therapy for the next couple of years no. trying to sort out. <laughs> Thank God. No, but I, so, but I think you said something which goes back to the point I was trying to make of how these conversations need to happen. But you said something that I think is really true is I think as we get older, we can't reconcile that there will be a time when we're incapacitated. And so to your point is I think she would have been very hard to have that conversation with because I think she was trying to determine what was next and then couldn't make that jump. She had been touring assisted living facilities and couldn't sort of make no. herself do it. And so, but I think this is where I really believe, and I don't know that there's a specialty for this, but there should be like elder counseling, like family counseling that you go to so that you can make these decisions together. Because really what happened for my mom is the decisions really just got yanked away from her. And right. she handled that with an enormous amount of grace. But I wish Toward it hadn't end. had to happen that way. But it could have it could have been more graceful earlier. Yes. And she could have recognized that the inevitable. But I think that that is one of those processes of getting older is the reconciliation that one has with one's ego. Yeah. Um, yeah, and God, it's, yeah. it, it's hard to imagine that you are no longer in control. You're not only not in the driver's seat, you're not even in the back seat. If you're lucky, you're in the rumble seat or the trunk. And that's oh, really is. It's just I mean, uh. if you. It, there's a that's the certain point, and you can't keep give yelling directions from the trunk, you know. Yeah. I mean that, and she wasn't in the driver's seat anymore, and she. That's where I think as that's where we can be graceful. That's where we can recognize that you know we are getting by on you know the kindness of strangers in some respects. You know, we're asking a lot from the people that are around us. How much are we going to ask? That comes with a certain level of self-awareness and a feeling of not, I have to keep prolonging this until I can patch up everything I've ever done wrong. You know, it's a good good reason to not enter into our dotage with a lot of baggage that we're still hoping we're going to have time to, to undo. Yeah. All of it comes down to communication. And we talk about this, how we communicate with our children. But this is, this is a whole new level of how does an, an adult child communicate with someone who's trying to reconcile the end of their life. And yeah. I think that that's, um, it again, for those of you in your 30s and 40s and 50s, and you've got parents that are elderly, these are conversations that you should start now when they're healthy and have conversations about death and have conversations about money and they're have conversations just, about planning. Yeah, but not just physically healthy, mentally healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point. Well, I appreciate this. What do you think we solved? I know now because I've listened to this podcast that if we solved anything, I've done it wrong. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. But okay. We're the podcast that we don't actually solve anything. So if we solve something, I screwed up. <laughs> Good. I don't think we did. So well done, okay. Ian. There well you done, go. Ian. 
Thank you for filling in for Elizabeth. She'll be back next week. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. Thanks, E. That'll be sweet.